Hello and welcome. This is On Mike with Jordan Rich, where conversation is alive and well. Conversations with creative people, including today's guest, Tanya Holton, who's the Director of Institutional Advancement at a magical spot in the Boston area, the Arnold Arboretum of Harvard University. It's a botanical research institution and free public park. It's located in the Jamaica Plain and Roslindale neighborhoods and established in 1872 as the oldest public arboretum in North America. Designed by Charles Sprague Sargent and Frederick Law Olmsted, part of what's known as the Emerald Necklace here in the Boston area. The Arboretum is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. So seeing that we could all use a little bit of nature, let's get back to it and find out all about the Arboretum as we go on mic with Tanya Holton. Delighted to have you with us. And uh, before we get started with the Arboretum, its history and its amazing vitality in the community, how did you get involved in this? Because it's such a beautiful project. It is. Well, I have to say, as a nonprofit practitioner my entire career, I'm just inspired to help institutions advance their missions. And I've always, I've always searched out institutions that have a mission that I care deeply about. And I am passionate about the preservation space. Um, it's something that I've devoted my, my life to, is to helping um, institutions you know, take the next mm. step in where they're going and um, knowing that I can do so for an institution that is uh, not only you know, one of the greatest public spaces in the country, but also has a great mission of making sure that Boston in particular um, has outdoor space and has free and public outdoor space is important to me. Um, you know, there's also that academic educational mission that's key. One of the great things about the Arboretum is that it is not only free and open to the public, but it is truly a tree museum, and it is advancing the knowledge, uh, particularly in this era of climate change, uh, where we have to be so attuned to how how the world's climate controls are broken and what we can do to fix them. The Arboretum plays a key role in advancing research around climate change, mm. and that's important to me as well. I've never heard Hopefully it put. I've never heard it put that way. But tree museum—that's terrific. That makes so much sense now. <laughs> I love that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the geography for those who listen to this podcast in literally a hundred countries. Let's explain where geographically we're talking, and also. We'll get into a bit of the history, which is fascinating. But the, the Arboretum is part of what we call here in Boston the Emerald Necklace. Can you explain that and where it is? Yes, indeed. It's right in the heart of the city of Boston. And the Emerald Necklace is, is literally a necklace of green space that uh, sort of is a circumference around the heart of what was the original city of Boston. Um, I, I don't know all of the history around it, but Frederick Law Olmsted, who is a, a legendary landscape architect, um, was, I, I believe, the, the sort of progenitor. Yeah. It was his brainchild, and he has helped to design uh, those green spaces, and he was the designer, the landscape designer for the Arnold Arboretum. And he also did Central Park and all kinds of national treasures around the country. But the Arboretum is very special. As you mentioned, it's free uh, to the public, and... Let's have you take us on a little tour. What What's the first thing we see when we enter the main gate, let's say? Well, if I might just take you a step back to say one of the beautiful things about the Arnold Arboretum is that there is no entrance fee. And so all of our gates are open to the public. We actually have, depending on how you count them, we have as many as 20 different portals 
into the magical landscape of the Arnold Arboretum. So uh, you're absolutely right. Many people focus on the portal that is on the Jamaica Plain side of the Arnold Arboretum, and that is where we have our, our majestic Honeywell Visitor Center, which was built also in the 19th century. Um, however, many of our visitors come through the other portals that are closest to, to their neighborhoods. Mm. And we really um, aspire to be and are a community gathering place. I mean, when you walk through the Arnold Arboretum, it's not just what you see in terms of the horticulture, it's what you hear. You hear countless countless languages spoken as you walk through the Arnold Arboretum, because we are surrounded by people who are from so many different countries and who have come to this country to build new lives, and they are comfortable and welcome, and we want them to feel a sense of belonging, to have the kind of outdoor space that they deserve as urban residents. Um, So you could enter, you could take the uh, orange line to the Arnold Arboretum and enter at the Forest Hills Gate and have a very different but equally beautiful mm. experience than if you drove and parked along the Arbor Way and <laughs> entered through the, the Honeywell entrance, which I think you dubbed the, sort of the main entrance. Uh, well, there you go. I mean, I've lived in this city my entire life. I've lived, I'm a Bostonian through and through, and I only think of one aspect, which is why we invited you here to broaden my scope of understanding. But it really is um, a magnificent uh, array of sort of the world's horticulture. And maybe you can tell us over the 150 years or so more about that, that people have gathered uh, and continue to gather exciting species from all over the world, including Asia. Tanya. Yes, let's, let's pause on that. We are so many different things as a cultural institution in Boston, and I want to make sure that we come back to touching on some of the other um, aspects of the Arnold Arboretum's living and breathing existence. You know, we are a public health institution. We are a cultural institution. We're an educational institution. Um, but, but let's pause and talk about that role that we play in research and in conservation. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, we have what is called uh, one of the leading ex situ collections, meaning that ex, meaning out of, that, that these are plants that have been taken, seeds that have been taken from other countries and other in situ locations and we are growing them and propagating them ex situ in our landscape. I know that sounds a little bit a little bit nerdy, but it's just important to um, amplify the fact that we are safe harbor for species that are extinct in the wild. 10% of all of the plant specimens that we have in the Arnold Arboretum, in our tree museum, are extinct in the wild. And that is incredibly important for us to continue to play that role of ensuring that we can be safe harbor. Um, we have plants growing in our landscape that were collected in China when uh, the West was first welcomed into China um, 120 years ago, and um, they are still growing and thriving here in our in our landscape as ex situ specimens. Um, we do seed collecting all around the world. We really are a set of intrepid plant explorers, uh, my colleagues, not me. But we have had uh, 24 expeditions to China, as an example, 10 expeditions to Japan, um, 118 expeditions worldwide in total in our 150 years. And uh, for those of you who really care about Made in America, we've had 49 expeditions within the United States to make sure that we are collecting species that um, might be extinct in other regions. Um, maybe I could pause and say one of, the, one of the species that people care deeply about when they come to the Arboretum, it's in what we call our Explorer's Garden, which is sort of near the top of um, 
of one of our hills here. And the Explorer's Garden has a species that um, is called Franklinia. It was named after Benjamin Franklin, um, although it was collected in the south, much further than where Benjamin Franklin lived. And it is now extinct, and we have it here, believe it or not, in our northern climate. And it's thriving. Um, mm. So we play an incredibly important role making sure that the, that genome is not lost uh, in this era of climate change. Well, that, that begs the question about the science and about the uh, expertise, because we all know that this is a tough climate to grow stuff <laughs> because it's cold and rocky. But uh, can you address that? I mean, over the last 150 years, there have been some very smart people working very hard to keep these trees and plants alive and thriving. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have a whole propagation team whose expertise is ensuring that we take those seeds that have been collected and preserved from species around the world and in the United States and make sure that we can propagate it. I mean, it's, a, it's actually a fascinating science in and of itself. Um, when you think about the, how difficult it is, I don't know if, if you or any of your listeners have ever tried to um, germinate seed at home in the winter and get ready to plant it outside. It's a very small percentage of those seeds that actually germinate correctly. And so there's a whole science around making sure that we take these ancient seeds and can preserve them and propagate them and put them back mm. out into the landscape. Um, there's also, of course, a science around preserving well, not only from seed, but um, grafting them. So uh, we have many scientists and propagators working on that. Uh, we also have an entire research building that has 75% um, of the research that comes out of our Weldhilled Research Building is focused on issues around climate change, how woody plants are responding to the climate controls in our, in our, uh, in our world right now that are broken. You know, if you, if you think about it this way, I'm going to shift to the, a cultural analogy for a moment. If you think about our being a cultural institution and having a museum of trees, um, if the climate controls break at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, you know, and they said, oh, we'll just open the window and uh, everything will be fine, people would be mortified. We also have to make sure that we have adequate um, uh, resources to make sure that we take care of our climate control issues for these plants. Mm. So we've been in a significant drought over the last 10 years. 2021 was the driest on record here in New England. And we are right now in the process of raising money to bring irrigation into the landscape. And if you can imagine this, thread irrigation pipes in and amidst these uh, tree roots that are, you know, hundreds of years old to make sure that we can irrigate as our climate gets drier and drier so that we do not lose hmm. this important biodiversity that's in our so, so, Tanya, your role as a development person, this is very important <laughs> right now. And, and we'll, before we close out, I'll have you make a direct appeal because I know a lot of people love this concept, even from other parts of the world. When they visit Boston, they, they often go to other parts of the Emerald Necklace, including the Boston Common, the Public Gardens, and so forth and so on. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the, uh, uh, the highlights throughout the year. Now, in the spring, I, and forgive me because I'm not a flower guy, but in the spring, there's a whole contingent of hundreds of thousands of people who flock to the Arnold Arboretum. What am I thinking of in May? What's that? Uh... You're thinking of Lilac Sunday. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a guy. I've, I've been to four of the five of them in the last several years because my wife is a huge fan. But, I mean, it's, it's that and other sort of uh, natural occurring events that draw people in uh, quite a bit. 
Indeed, indeed. No, you're absolutely right. When you get back to what is the Arnold Arboretum, one of the things that we are is we're storytellers. We give voice to plants by telling stories about them. And we're also uh, right there in the thick of being, um, uh, you know, community builders. We build community by bringing people into the landscape. It's part of our way of not only celebrating the eye candy that these flowers are, (laughs) but it's also our way of educating the next generation to understand the importance of plants and, frankly, to help us avoid the the challenges around Mm. climate change. So we use those landmark days like Lilac Sunday as an opportunity to pull people in, um, and then we hope to get them connected by educating them further. And uh, Lilac Sunday is a great way to do that. Uh, I can also say uh, probably... I'm going out on a limb here, but I uh, pardon the pun, the limb. Uh, But I'm I'm going to suggest (laughs) that... What happened in the last two years to the world, and we all know what we're talking about when we say the pandemic, the the places like the Arnold Arboretum have become such a refuge, an escape, and um, sort of a thrilling recreational event for people. That in you know, prior to that, it was spending a fortune and flying to some island somewhere, but that was not possible. I, I noticed a lot of additional. Uh, interest in having the outdoors in your life, and what a great place to spend time outdoors at the Arboretum. Did you notice the numbers up in the last couple of years? Absolutely. One of the great things that our director, uh, Ned Friedman, did right at the beginning of the pandemic is he actually installed a, uh, a gate counter at our main gate, the one that we talked about in Jamaica Plain. Oh, yes. Uh, but we can extrapolate some of that data. And by extrapolating the data of how many people walked through that primary gate and then looking at all of the other gates that we have, we believe that we have upwards of 5 million people who've walked through our landscape. And again, no gate fee. Mm. So this is walking through the landscape for free as a way of, as you say, getting uh, that restorative feeling, getting that healthy feeling of being out uh, in in the open air. And um, it's extraordinary because prior to the pandemic, we probably had half a million people who came through on a given year. That's still a goodly number for a cultural institution. But to think that since the beginning of the pandemic, we've had upwards of 5 million. And and there are a number of things that are really important, if you don't mind, that I amplify there. Of course. One is that, as I mentioned earlier, we are host to uh, the vibrant diversity of Boston because we are surrounded on all four sides by neighbors uh, and by neighborhoods in Boston, a number of which are historically underserved neighborhoods. We have six public housing projects that abut our entrances that are on the Forest Hills Roslindale side. And these are families that don't have the same kind of access to nature that others in the suburbs might. Um, These are families that live in what is often called heat islands. Um, And the Arnold Arboretum is their backyard. And it's incredibly important for us to, to welcome all of our neighbors and to make sure that those who don't have a backyard see and feel um, the Arnold Arboretum as their backyard. And when we, when we actually look at the demography of who comes through, we've been able to, believe it or not, get cell phone data of who walks through our landscape. And um, we actually have uh, the greatest uh, non-white diversity of any cultural institution in Boston. Mm. And that's really important for us. Yeah, um, the the health uh, and but, the health and social benefits of outdoor nature living in a city, particularly. Uh, I, I I know you're familiar with the city of Boston, and many people may not be, but 
there's a new area called the seaport. It's all been restructured and redone, and uh, it's gorgeous. It's lovely, but it's a lot of glass and steel and a lot of brick and not enough green, in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah. So I think yeah. I think uh, the value of having live nature, thriving nature in your own backyard is is so helpful, especially these times. You're absolutely right. We are a public health institution, and actually there's been a lot of research about nature deficit disorder, for example. Mm. That is an actual uh, issue among children. Um, and uh, the, the millions of Americans who lack access to quality parks is a main issue as well. And I will tell you that that you know, I'm surrounded by nerdy scientists because many of the people who, who work here at the Arnold Arboretum are indeed scientists doing that kind of research. And we've partnered with the uh, Harvard School of Public Health. And there is evidence-based health benefits of nature contact. You know, the obvious things you think of are reduced stress and reduced anxiety. You hear about people needing to kind of get out there and take those walks um, in order to just decompress. But there's also very specific health benefits in terms of lower blood pressure, improved post-operative recovery, improved birth outcomes, improved childhood development, reduced mortality. All of that nature gives to people when you can spend time in nature. Um, and so we've really been um, focusing on making sure that during this pandemic in particular, that we are that healthy, safe space to go. In fact, um, we did not close our gates at all. When many other public spaces closed their gates during the pandemic, we were heralded by a number of different institutions, including the New York Times, um, for being one of the only public parks in the United States that did not close. Um, and we were very cautious and careful in how we stayed open. Um, a lot of consultation with our colleagues in public health, but our horticultural crew was here ensuring that people could be safe mm. and have that outdoor space. Very that important, very important. Well, let's have you put your uh, institutional development hat on for a moment here before we close out and uh, make an appeal to people, uh, the kind of appeal that you think would have sort of broad public support, because we've talked about the beauty and benefits and the importance of this. What's the mission statement for your, for you right now? Well, I think it's important to understand that we have uh, been around for 150 years, um, and we have actually a 2,000-year lease, believe it or not, with the city of Boston. Um, we, we were founded through philanthropy. Um, the land was donated, and then the money was donated after that in order to create this uh, botanical garden, this arboretum, as a scientific institution affiliated with Harvard. It was then very clear early on in our history that in order to truly be sustainable and, frankly, to give the, the benefits of nature to everyone in Boston, um, the founder, Charles Sargent, really believed in the democracy, that, that a public park and nature was part of the, the, the founding essence of the United States and that only by having everybody be able to mingle in the same space without any gate fee could democracy really thrive. So he partnered with the city of Boston. So when you look at our history of being sort of a co-production of Harvard University and the city of Boston, what's interesting to note is that we do not receive operational money from either institution. They do other wonderful things to support the Arboretum, but from an operational sustainability point of view, our budget comes solely from philanthropy. 
We have first the philanthropy from the past of people who made gifts that have built our endowment, and then we have current philanthropy that keeps our gates open that allows us to hire our horticultural staff. So we're a lot like um, radio in the sense that anyone can listen to the radio at any time and pay nothing. And it's a phenomenal public service that you offer, Jordan, by being on the air and being free and available to anyone. We play that same role. We are free and available to anyone, but it's those who truly care about the power of nature and who truly care about the importance of free access to nature that keep our gates open by becoming members of the Arboretum and by making donations to the work that we do. So really what's essential for the next century of the Arboretum is continued private philanthropy. And, and if I might just add, we have two visions as we celebrate our 150 years and we celebrate all the plants and the people that have made our landscape special. Um, as we look to the next century, what we're really focusing on, on are two goals. The first is renewing that founding public promise of equity in the landscape, that promise that, that, that Olmsted and Sargent made when we were first founded in 1872, that we would be a free and open space for everyone. We have some really exciting capital projects that we are trying to implement in the landscape that will enhance that founding public promise. We are also enhancing our community engagement and the work that we do with our neighbors to make sure that everybody feels a sense of belonging and is involved here in the activities. Our public education projects started back in 1891, and they're only possible, we work with the Boston Public Schools, they're only possible because of philanthropy. Um, we have some children who come into our landscape from the Boston Public Schools who live seven, eight, nine blocks away from here and have never seen a chipmunk. Mm. They've never been in a landscape that has coyotes. We have, we have wildlife here. We have an incredible biodiversity that doesn't exist you know, in the urban setting just a few blocks away. And so we're an incredible educational resource as well. So that founding public promise to equity in the landscape is important. And the second major threat of our next century, Jordan, is, um, is combating climate change, combating it here in the landscape with the capital projects we need to do to bring irrigation to save these incredible specimens, um, and then also the research that we do to combat climate change, to use the species we have here in the landscape to inform how to protect and preserve woody plants into the next century and the next millennia. Um, so that's where the money goes. And that's the only way we can do what we do is if people become members and, and make donations. If plants, trees, flowers, blooms could talk, and maybe we, we do talk to them, maybe they do talk back to us, they would say thank you to you, particularly Tanya, for being such a wonderful spokesperson for all things beautiful in the Arboretum. That was so eloquently said and so important uh, to the to the community, uh, not just here, but worldwide. So the website would be a great way to start, correct? It would be. It would be. And I think uh, going right to our sesquicentennial, which is our 150th anniversary page, is a really nice way to get oriented. And it is arboretum.harvard.edu slash arnold150. Arnold 150. We want to thank Mr. Arnold from a couple of centuries ago for his his uh, putting his name and his money behind it and all the people who have come before it. It's a historical gem and it's a legacy builder. And when you get involved in something like this as a supporter, you're part of that legacy. Well, Tanya, thank you. This was delightful. And uh, for those people who come to New England 
to visit, and there are many. Uh, you've got to make this a stop, and the best part is it's easy on the budget. So yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly right. So. And we have some wonderful uh, items on our website, some um, Zooms and, and other programs that you can watch wherever you live in the world. So. We hope that you'll partake in some of that educational information that's right on the website. Well, I will remember Lilac Sunday because it, I have to every May. I have no choice. But I'll remember a whole lot more now about the uh, the wonderful Arboretum that it is. Thank you so much, Tanya, and uh, God bless you and everybody over there. My pleasure. Tanya Holton with the Arnold Arboretum of Harvard University, celebrating 150 years of plants and people. And to find out more, once again, simply go to arboretum.harvard.edu. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry and everyone at Chart Productions, the studio here in Boston, where we produce this and many other podcasts. And as always, you can find out more about me at jordanrich.com. Thank you for listening for subscribing and downloading, for rating and reviewing our podcasts. We really appreciate it. Till next time, JR here to remind you to be well so you can do good. Take care. <laughs>